Hello, and welcome to Prophecy Girls, a Buffy rewatch podcast. I'm Cara Babcock, pronouns she, her. And I'm Stephanie Chow, pronouns she, her. Join us each week as we break down every episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer from the beginning. This is a spoiler-free podcast, and we're currently on season three. Whether you're watching for the first time, or longtime fans like us, we'll be analyzing every episode, character, and storyline like it's our first time too. During this rewatch, we'll reminisce about our memories of Buffy, discuss the show's cultural impact, and provide honest commentary from a 21st century lens. Thanks for listening! Now on to the episode. Season 3, Episode 1, and with an E. <laughs> <laughs> But not that ad with the no. for our Canadian listeners. <laughs> the, not the Canadian one, the other one. Is that like one of the few things that Americans, thanks to Netflix, know about Canada now? That it's the home of Anne of Green Gables? They better. <laughs> <laughs> and they never, in this episode, they never explicitly say where Buffy has gone for the summer. I think we know that it's L.A., but no one says anything. So she very well could be at Green Gables for all we know. So that's what we're going to say she is. <laughs> yes, the place she's in definitely seems like a small town in PEI. <laughs> I've never been there. So could be, could be. But oh my <laughs> God, Kara, here we are. Season three. I know. And it's only September. Well, we've been just going through. We've been going steady and we're really excited. We are so excited. Yes, we've been doing this for all you listeners who stuck with us season one or joined us in season two and came all this way, journeyed with us. We're season three. I'm so excited for this season. I think it's going to be amazing. But there's a lot of things that we are excited about this time around. Absolutely. So we have a very exciting announcement for everybody. It's not that we're doing Angel next. <laughs> Tease. <laughs> Uh, no, this is something that a few of you have asked us about, and it's, it's been on our radar, but we wanted to wait for the right time to introduce it. So like most podcasts, we're selling out. <laughs> um, so we are launching a Buy Me a Coffee page, and there's going to be several options for you to support the show. So if you feel like it, you can donate monthly and support us on a month-to-month -month basis and get some rewards for that or and this is one of the reasons why we chose the buy me a coffee mm -hmm. platform if you don't feel like you can commit to a monthly recurring donation you can just buy us a coffee like you can just toss five dollars our way just one time <laughs> you know if you've listened to the all of our episodes and you're like i'm really enjoying prophecy girls i can't give you five dollars a month every month but i can give you five dollars today that's amazing that, that's great too like, we are so grateful for everybody who listens because Steph and I watch those download numbers just creep up and up and up, and it gives us this huge ego boost. <laughs> <laughs> Every Thursday, we are really full of ourselves. <laughs> yeah, exactly, right? Like, Steph is always like, Kara, tell me, like, what are the latest download yeah. numbers? So even if you're just listening, honestly, you're doing great, and we appreciate that. And especially those of you who talk about us on social media watch our TikToks, you know, spread the word. That's great too. So if you are not in a position to support us with some money, that is okay. We totally get it. We listen to too many podcasts as well. If I donated money to every single podcast I listened to, I would have no money. <laughs> well, but people have asked. That That's what got this conversation between Kara and I going. Uh -huh. It's that people reached out and said, how can I support you? 
what can I do? I love your content. I want to help in some way. And we didn't have any way for them to help at the time they asked, but we're like, well, maybe we can put together something that gives the option if people want to take it or not. Exactly. And so for anybody who does decide to support us, basically what you're doing is you're just helping us defray the costs of making the show because we pay for the hosting for the podcast episodes and a couple of other things. And, you know, it's taking a couple of hours out of our week every week to do this. And we've been doing this consistently literally every single week since we started recording back in February. <laughs> so, so yeah, we've been, mm -hmm. we're doing great, but your support would help us grow further. We've got some goals, I guess you might say, if we get enough support that we can achieve some of those things. And, I, and I'm keeping things vague because we don't want to mm -hmm. overpromise. One thing I'm really excited about doing once we're able to afford to do it is providing transcripts of our episodes, which it's just not cost effective to do it, you know, by hand, unfortunately. So we got to pay like for some some good AI transcription or something. I'd love to make our podcast more accessible to people who have trouble listening to podcasts. Yeah, that's one of our goals. But it's not sure. in the budget right now. So that's an example. It's a dream. Of one, yeah, it's one of the improvements we can introduce if we get that kind of support from people. So buymeacoffee.com slash prophecy girls, and we'll put the link in the show notes as well. We just were very grateful for all of the support we've received so far that has allowed us to get to season three. Mm -hmm. And we are excited to keep the podcast going. And if you have the spare cash, if you don't, there's no pressure, please don't feel bad. But if you can support us with some financial donations, you're going to help us take the podcast even further. Yeah. And if you want to, right? I mean, this is just completely up to you. Uh, Prophecy Girls will remain the same and we will continue putting out episodes every week for everybody. Exactly. Because we love doing this podcast. Yeah. Nothing is changing for, for anybody who's not mm -hmm. donating. It's just if you donate, you get a little, more. Uh, you get a little bit more input and, and suggestions, um, especially as we get busier right now we're doing a pretty good job of replying to everybody's messages we love your messages on social media so much yeah but we're just we're just trying to think about the future yeah here. and we're trying something new <laughs> so for now let's go into yeah. the episode because this is why people came this is what they're here for season three the opener all right we left off with buffy killing her boyfriend <laughs> and sending him to hell uh, and then she had been told previously by joyce not to come back so she didn't so the season ended with Buffy holding a giant duffel bag and getting on a bus and leaving Sunnydale behind. To the vocal sounds of Sarah McLaughlin. <laughs> where do we open, Steph? Well, we open on the graveyard, of course. This is Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Where else are we going to open? And a vampire, a fresh newborn baby vampire, <laughs> is clawing his way out of the earth. They're so cute when they're newborns, right? Their little pudgy faces. I know, faces. we give them a couple days to like get a little cuter, they're a little wrinkly when they first come out, <laughs> but uh, this one's ready for life and he's crawling out and we see a pair of legs and we're like, oh shit, it's Buffy, but psych, it's Willow. And Willow is standing above the vampire and says, that's right, big boy, come and get it. <laughs> and the vampire lets out a roar, a lion's roar, and goes to attack her, but Xander comes up behind and grabs him and Oz comes out as well and he tries to stake him. But this vampire is 
acrobatic. He jump kicks up and kicks Oz in the chest. And then he does a backflip over Xander and throws him into Willow and then takes off. Oz attempts to throw a stake at the vampire as it runs away. And it the music and the way that he throws it, it's like really epic. It's like, oh my God, he's going to do something so cool. But of course, the stake just bounces off of another gravestone and falls feebly to the ground. Because he's not the Slayer. Because <laughs> he's not the Slayer. And Oz just says, that really never works. <laughs> I'm loving Willow's new haircut. Yeah, Willow has shorter hair. Very American Pie, the movie of her, because I'm pretty sure she cut it to be in that movie over the summer. Uh, it's nice to see the three of them taking up the slaying as Buffy's away, right? Well, th- this is a callback, I feel, to the season two opener when she was bad. Because that also started with Xander and Willow, in this case, no Oz, in a graveyard, doing the same kind of thing, not quite as well. And in that episode, Buffy shows up Mm -hmm. and intervenes and actually kind of rescues them. And is like, did you miss me? So it feels like this episode is almost setting us up for the same thing, right? We're expecting Buffy to show up at any moment now and everything is going to be fine. Yeah. But that's not what happens, of course. Of course not. And uh, obviously it's the three of them and they failed at this. The vampire got away and Xander wants to address why the vampire is so acrobatic. And Oz says that the vampire is Andy Holick and he used to be on the gymnastics team. And Xander calls him a cheater. He's a cheater as he runs away, as the vampire runs away. Then he addresses Willow and says come and get it, big boy? As in, like, why did you say that? And Willow starts defending what she's doing, and she's saying, like, the Slayer always has a funny pun or a witty play on words. Clearly, they're working out their strategy on how to kill vampires in the cemetery, and what it all comes down to is what you just said. Buffy's not there, and Buffy didn't show up to help them. Buffy's been missing all summer, and it's pretty clear from their conversation when Willow says, don't refer to Buffy in the past tense and it's like they they might not know if she's dead or alive i think like she's obviously missing but they don't know where she is or yeah if she's okay at all and clearly that's what they've been dealing with all summer Mm -hmm. so willow says that uh school starts tomorrow i wonder if buffy will show up and oz takes it and he's like oh right big day tomorrow and willow says that oh don't worry like i'm gonna be busy till 3 p.m which is usually when you get up (laughs) so Clearly, like, let's not forget that Oz was a senior last year, so technically he should be graduated right now. And Xander takes his time to bring up that he can't wait to see Cordelia. And Willow wonders what their first homework assignment is going to be. And Xander gives her a look and she just says, hey, you're excited over Cordelia, okay? We've all got issues. (laughs) So clearly the Cordelia hate is going to be continuing into season three. Yeah. But something I, well, I mean, one thing I noticed a lot about this episode is that this episode does a really great job of calling out a lot of the things that you and I actually brought up in season two. It's like very Mm self-aware, this episode in a lot of ways. It's kind of like establishing the tone of the season, right? That's, That's what I like most about this episode is each scene allows the writers to change the dynamic a little bit between the characters. Yeah. Because we're seeing they're seniors now. This is their last year of high school. They are getting older um, with some of the other characters like we're going to see with Joyce and Giles. Newfound awareness of Buffy being the Slayer changes things. Like it's, yeah. it's a lot. And, and this is the show picking up the pieces after the end of season two and saying things are different. Just like with when she was bad, right? This is a show that 
isn't going to put all of the toys back in the box neatly and say, hey, new season, you know, there's Buffy's going to be fine. It's all good. New monster. Like, this is the show saying, no, like, what happened at the end of the last season really messed things up for everybody, and we have to pick up yeah. pieces. This episode is definitely the beginning of the cleanup. So we'll see how that unfolds. So as they leave the cemetery, Willow is saying, wouldn't it be great if Buffy just showed up tomorrow like nothing happened? And Xander reminds Willow and the audience that she can't just show up because she got kicked out. Because not only did Buffy have to kill her boyfriend who was freshly insoled, but she also got kicked out of her house by her mom, whether she meant to or not, and she got expelled. And also Kendra died, but we never get a mention of that. So yeah, so she can't just come back just like that. But Willow wishes they just knew where she was. Cut to the beach where Buffy Summers is in a beautiful summer's dress and she's walking on the beach and it pans down her body. And at first I was like, why are they showing so much of her body right now? <laughs> but that's because arms, big masculine arms wrap around her waist. And oh my God, it's Angel, everybody. It's Angel. He's alive. And she says, how did you find me here? And he says, if I was blind, I would see you. Now, I do really love this embrace. Obviously, it's very nice to see Buffy and Angel together, however briefly. But it is kind of cheesy. <laughs> but sometimes Buffy dreams in cheese. I don't know. So she says, stay with me. And he says, forever. That's the whole point. I'll never leave. Not even if you kill me. Oh, really? Oh, really? <laughs> Buffy get, has a concerned look and she wakes up. She was dreaming. Mind you, her makeup is perfect when she opens her eyes. But she gets out of bed and we can see that she's in a strange apartment and she's looking out the window and it's a very busy street. Green Gables is bustling right in the middle of the night. And <laughs> we know she's not in Sunnydale anymore. Cut to credits. So the credits are different. Obviously, we have an update for the credits for season three. Mm -hmm. Oz, as in Seth Green, has joined the cast permanently, which is So lovely. hopefully that means we see more of him than we did last season. Yes, that would be very nice. And the music is different. Uh, they updated the theme song. They redid it, remastered it, and made it a little bit more clean. And that's the one mm -hmm. we'll, be, we'll be hearing for the season. Also, David Boreanaz. Still in the credits, which is interesting. Very interesting. I saw that. I was like, oh, okay. We'll have to hmm. find out what that means. So we open up on a diner where Buffy is serving tables. And I feel you, girl. I waitressed for a very long time and it is not an easy job. And it's hard to keep a smile on your face sometimes because Buffy looks miserable. Did you get slapped on the ass? I did not. But if I did, I definitely would have reacted differently than how Buffy <laughs> reacted in this scene. Yeah, so this this scene is kind of interesting, right? Because like you said, Buffy's looking miserable and she's serving these two guys who look like they just fell off a turnip truck. Yes. And one of the guys, you know, she gives she gives him his bill and she says you can pay at the counter and he says, "Are you sure you don't want me to work it off, honey?" <gasps> he calls her peaches um, too. <laughs> Oh, Peaches, yeah. And the the guy who's with him laughs. And then as she walks away, that's when the other guy slaps her on the ass. And old Buffy would have reacted the way I suspect you would have reacted, Steph, mm -hmm. right? Which is you would have thrown down. <laughs> yeah, someone would have bled that day. <laughs> but no, Buffy just, just kind of like flinches, but then she continues on with her life. And I think this is just to show us that Buffy's just not in the fighting mood. 
Buffy's lost her spark. Like she's shut down. Yeah, she's lost it. So she goes to this table where there's a canoodling young couple. And we can see that on her name tag. It says N with an E. And um, this couple doesn't have any money. They said that they blew it all on this tattoo. They show Buffy the tattoo. And it's, oh my gosh, it's like takes up all of their forearm. And it's half a heart on each with the opposite person's name on their heart. And when they put their arms together, it makes a full heart. Cute. (laughs) Uh, The guy's name is Ricky. And the girl's name is Lily. And Buffy's reaction to this is exactly what I would do as well, where she's like, it's nice and nice and permanent. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I'm I'm not big on tattoos in general. They're not for me. Mm. You know, you do you, your body, your choice. Mm -hmm. But like spending all of, you know, the money you have left to get a tattoo, this, this is showing us, right, that this couple is not into making the wisest of decisions, which we are going to see more of Mm -hmm. as this episode develops. But I think it also shows us like, this is how far Buffy has come. Like she's in this strange city. She's getting slapped on the ass. She's serving customers who are spending all their money on tattoos. Welcome to LA, Buffy. (laughs) How far you've fallen. Yeah, and what's interesting is that uh, Ricky, the guy... When he when showing her that t- the tattoo, he says it's forever. That's the whole point. That's the whole point of getting the tattoo, and our love is forever. So obviously that triggers Buffy, who literally just murdered the love of her life. So she is about to go, and then the girl says, "Hey, do I know you?" And ooh, we might know this girl too. Maybe it doesn't jog our memory till later. But Buffy gets wigged out and she leaves. She's like, "Yeah, I don't know. You don't know me." And then we cut to the library. It's the first day of school. And Giles is actually doing his librarian job. The no. library is bumping. It's full of students. We've never seen it this full before. Not unless it's vampires. Well, Giles is so desperate for human interaction. <laughs> He's talking to Willow about the night before. And clearly, uh, this is what they've been doing all summer is, is trying to keep the vampire population down. And Giles mentions this and he says, first, like, just, you know, don't get killed. Because if you get killed, I'll take it somewhat amiss. And Willow basically sums it up and says, oh, you'd be cranky. And he says entirely. It's really cute. On her way out of the library, Cordelia runs up to Willow and she's so friendly. She's like, hi, Willow. And again, like I I just remember Willow's comment in the very first scene of this episode where she was like, hey, you miss Cordelia. huh? That's so weird. And again, like I just don't think that that's warranted. (laughs) This like mean treatment of her. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I know the show really wants us to not like her, but we love Mm -hmm. her so much. So Willow asks how her summer was, and she was in Los Palomas. Palomas? <laughs> she was on a resort, <laughs> and she said it was dreadful. And she asks Willow how her summer was, and she says, okay. And then she's like, gets right to the point of why she wants to talk to Willow. And she says, how Xander? I haven't seen him yet. Do I look okay? How's my hair? <laughs> and Willow's like affirming that she looks good. And Cordelia basically starts ranting and says like, what if Xander met someone else over the summer? No, who's he going to meet in Sunnydale? There's only monsters and stuff. But he's always been attracted to monsters. <laughs> and again, this is what I mean. Like this episode just seems really self-aware when they make jokes like that because Xander historically has mm-hmm. been attracted to monsters i mean i'm surprised that he didn't get eaten by one over the summer (laughs) it's it's shocking (laughs) and i think cordelia it's really nice to see her nervous to see him and this whole scene is really really well shot it's very interesting it's like one long shot 
through the high school. I think it's to show how bumping it is, like the hustle and bustle of your first day of school. There's chaos. There's people everywhere. Everyone's excited about the new year, right? So Oz is there and he approaches Willow and Willow thinks that he's there to, to say hi to her on the first day of school. But turns out Oz didn't graduate. So he's repeating his 12th year. And Willow is like, I know you had a lot of incompletes, but that's what summer school was for. And Oz is like, remember when I didn't go <laughs> to summer school? So as they're walking down the hall, it also cuts to like this random teacher who's telling someone else not to not to run. And then it cuts back to Will and Oz, and and he's hoping that she would find him repeating a grade cute. But Willow is like, hey, but you're a genius. You're a genius, and you should be done school by now. So this is weird. And I personally really like that the show had Oz repeat a grade, and they didn't really make a big deal about it. Because we already know from hmm. Career Week that Oz is one of the smartest kids at school, that he tests really well. He's actually very bright. But it's really compelling to see this intelligent guy not do well in the academic environment that he's provided. Like he doesn't excel at this kind of school. I, yeah, I, I didn't think of it that way, but I agree with you. You know, it's it's true. There are people who are smart who still don't succeed in school for whatever reason. Mm -hmm. And yeah, let's have that representation. Yeah. Go Oz. <laughs> Go Oz. Yay. That's when Xander runs up to them and he's like, have you seen Cordelia? And then he leaves. Cut to Larry. And um He's psyched for football this year. And he spent the all summer working out and eating egg whites. And he's like, focus, keep discipline. We're not going to have so many mysterious deaths this year. Sunnydale's going to rule. <laughs> so he's excited for the first day of school. Good luck with that, Larry. Yeah, Larry, let's see how that turns out for you. Uh, cut back to Willow and Oz, who are walking and talking. And Willow is still stuck on Strange, not cute. And it's there. I, I like how much you can tell that Oz and Willow's relationship developed over the summer. Like they have such an easy back and forth right now and it's really cute. Mm -hmm. And Cordelia and Xander finally meet up and they're in the student lounge. And he's like, did you have a good summer? And she says, yeah, it was all right. And he says, cool. And she says, yeah. <laughs> and he says, well, I'll see you. And she says, yeah, whatever. And then they both leave super awkwardly. So this is so interesting to me because obviously they didn't talk at all before they left for summer vacation. I thought that they were pretty much an established couple at the end of last year. Yeah, but it's one thing to be, you know, be dating during high school. And it's like another thing for it to continue on into the summer. So like, it's the same thing with Cordelia and Xander, right? They haven't seen each other all summer. And I think both Cordelia and Xander are kind of confused, but like, are, are we still a couple? Right? Like, mm -hmm. a lot can happen at a resort. So. Yeah, and they lack the communication skills to suss it out mm -hmm. for each other. So, yeah, with, with Willow and Oz, I think it's just a case of, of, like, they've spent so much time together over the summer, mm -hmm. right? And Willow's going into her last year. Oz is going into his last year again. Is Willow still the computer teacher? We don't know at this point. <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> so, the, the, like I was saying earlier, the dynamic is different. Yeah. And that's actually a really cool way to like show the difference between a couple that's actually really healthy and thriving and a couple that is on the rocks. And it, the fact that they're still not communicating with each other is not boding well for their relationship at the beginning of the season. Uh, but I will also say it's actually pretty authentic to me for teens to be doing this. Like you said, it, it, it makes sense if like maybe they're dating during school, but then summer hit two months of not seeing each other and it's not in the age of cell phones 
They probably could only talk on the phone maybe once, maybe, depending on how long Cordelia was gone for. So, yeah, I mean, it, I think it, it depends. You know, if you're in a resort and stuff, you should have access to, to a phone. Although we don't know what Cordelia was doing at that resort. So True enough. So <laughs> yeah, so they leave awkwardly. And again, I think that this whole scene, like the very many relationships, all these extra characters coming in, all the hustle and bustle, was to juxtapose next to what happens now, where we cut to Buffy, who is sitting in complete silence in her apartment, eating something out of a can, just staring very <laughs> like you know like she's obviously in her own little world of silence yeah. and isolation and then we cut to her wandering down the streets of LA or Green Gables up to you what you where you think she is and we see a random man approach someone else on the street with a flyer and she's walking by a woman who says I'm no one so Giles is in the library on the phone and he's excitingly hanging up and telling Xander and Willow that he has a lead. A friend of his in Oakland has a sketchy report of a young girl fending off a group of vampires a week ago. So he's going to take a plane. Oh, over. Giles, 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 Giles. This is so sweet that we find. And because Xander says, what makes this different from the last nine leads? He doesn't want to poop the party, but Giles gets his hopes up. And then it's a big fat raspberry and Xander feels bad. He's making it about himself. <laughs> but I just love the idea that Giles has taken 10 trips this summer leading up to the new new school year to look for Buffy. That's such a father thing to do, right? To spring into action, to follow a lead, to be like, maybe she's here. Maybe she's here. So I, I just love that he's been searching. I for just, her. you can, you can hear the desperation in Giles's voice, right? It's like, with each lead, he's just getting a little bit more and more desperate that he's never going to find Buffy. Here's my question. Where's the Watcher's Council in all of this, right? Like, did Giles not inform his bosses that the Slayer went missing on his watch? Do they know? And what is Watcher Zabuto Well, and also Kendra's doing? dead. Yeah. Like, <laughs> What's Zabuto? Did he tell them that Kendra died? Like, Giles should have been buried in paperwork all summer. <laughs> He was like, fuck the paperwork. I'm going to look for my kid. He, he lost two <laughs> Slayers. Ooh, in one day. But fair, I, he, I would love to hear him explain to the Watcher's Council. He's like, yeah, but I was kidnapped. I was knocked unconscious. You're always getting Again. knocked unconscious, Giles. <laughs> you can't keep using that excuse. <laughs> poor guy, oh, poor guy. He's poor got Giles. a bad review this year. But yeah, like, I mean, watching Giles take this father approach to finding his Slayer and not what you're like, what you're saying, like buried in paperwork all summer maybe this is something we're going to see more of this season is how giles balances this love for his slayer versus his watcher duties i guess we'll have to see mm -hmm. willow keeps hope and she's like you know you shouldn't give up and giles says he should try to find her and he should go so willow asks xander as giles leaves you don't think maybe he'll find her and Xander says he'll find her when she wants to be found. So on the streets of Green Gables at night, the girl from the diner from earlier is calling out to Buffy. She's saying, Anne, Anne, and Buffy's not responding uh, because like Xander just said, she'll respond when she's goddamn ready, right? And when the girl says Buffy, that gets her attention. So she turns around and this girl says, don't you recognize me from before? And lo and behold, Kara, it is Chanterelle from episode seven lie to me season two yeah 
And she says, like, hey, remember me? I used to be in a cult that worshipped vampires. Oh, those vampire-worshipping cults. I know. And she's like, you saved us, and I never thanked you. I was just so surprised to see you waiting tables here, and Buffy's like, you didn't tell anybody it was me, did you? And she's like, no, no, I know how it is when you want to get lost. So they start walking and talking together. Chanterelle, a.k.a. Lily, who is she going by Lily now, she admits that she's homeless. And asks why Buffy went with the name Anne. And Buffy says that it's her middle name. And Lily says that Ricky had actually given her her name, her new name. And she's always changing things up. Chanterelle was her exotic phase. And Buffy says it's, it's a mushroom. <laughs> Which made me laugh. Well, it also reminds us that Buffy is pretty smart, right? Yeah. I'm going to call her Chanterelle because I think it's a better name than <laughs> Lily, but... Ooh. <laughs> well, I'll do a poll. Any of our uh, any of our listeners named Lily are not going to be happy with that. All the Lilies out there, change your name to Chanterelle immediately. On the other hand, all of our Chanterelle listeners, I'm sure, are quite enthusiastic about yeah. this. <laughs> Chanterelles unite! I'm going to go on Instagram and make a poll. <laughs> Would you rather your name Chanterelle or Lily? So, what we're learning from Lily, aka Chanterelle, here is that. She is very prone to joining cults. She says that before she was with the vampire worshipping cult, she was with another cult following this loser preacher and calling herself Sister Sunshine. Like Chanterelle, um, Lily, this girl, she does fit the exact definition of somebody who would be falling into a cult because people who fall Mm -hmm. into cults are usually really lonely or they desire some sort of meaning something that makes them feel special and worthy. And that's why they're prone to falling into these not always religious cults. Sometimes they're political cults. Sometimes they're mindfulness cults. Like there's a lot of different ones. And I think everyone might remember from season one, episode eight, uh, the iRobot Eugene Moloch the Corrupter episode. Praise Moloch. Praise Moloch. We had talked a lot about cults in that episode because I love cults. So I really enjoyed watching Lily's interactions with Buffy in this episode and how not independent, like Buffy's an independent person and Lily is not. And it's just interesting to see how a girl like this would easily fall into the trappings of a cult. Yeah. So I think at this point we're supposed to be asking ourselves, like, is Buffy vulnerable enough to, you know, be pulled into some kind of cult as well? And I think that's what this episode is exploring is what makes Buffy's situation and her what makes her character and the way she reacts different from someone like Chanterelle. Mm-hmm. Uh, Lily asks Buffy for money, and it's really awkward. Uh, she does backtrack a bit and says, you know, I know this guy, he's having a rave in his basement, and we could go, but I'm broke, so if you want to come, you got to pay for us to go in. That's secretly why we're asking all of our listeners for money, by the way. <laughs> actually, we want to go to a rave together. There's a rave in this basement, you guys, and we really want to go. <laughs> so please give us three dollars. <laughs> um, but yeah, but Buffy starts to say no, and I like that Buffy has these boundaries. I mean, obviously the boundaries are there because she's hurting, but she's just like, there's way too much people there. It's too much. But like, she starts to give her the money to go, and that's when a guy walks right between them, an old man, and Lily says. That's not very polite. And that is like so classic Lily Chanterelle. Because remember in Lie to Me when she was like, there are other opinions that are valid, you know? Like it's just like the same kind of oh, like attitude. you were so <laughs> harsh on her for that. <laughs> I don't care. So he just stares at them. And Buffy asks if he's okay. And he says, I'm no one. 
And then he walks into the middle of the street and is about to get hit by a car. And Buffy is a hero. So she runs out and knocks him out of the way and she gets hit by the car instead. And as a crowd forms around her and she's lying on the ground, she gets up. She's fine, but she's really overwhelmed by what she just did, by the fact that all this crowd is seeing her. So she runs away. And where does she run? She runs directly into the guy that was handing out flyers earlier. And he asks her where she's running from. As she's helping him pick up the papers that she made him drop, uh, he's working his magic on her, his cult magic. He's like, it looks like you had to grow up way too fast. And he says his name is Ken and he lets her keep one of the flyers, which is for a safe home. And he says, you might find something you're missing there. Like a cult? Like a cult. You might find a cult here. I've been missing a cult. (laughs) Well, I mean, she does say she's all right. And he's like, well, then why are you here? This is not a good place for a kid to be. You get old fast here. And the things that drain the life out of you is despair. And kids have nothing to go home to. This ends up being their last stop for a lot of them. And it shouldn't be that way. And then we cut to this montage of all these homeless teens in L.A. And I was like, oh, man, this is like sad. (laughs) Like, what did you think of that? Well, this episode is dealing with some pretty tough issues, right? It's talking about hopelessness. It's talking about feeling like you have no place to belong and the way that people take advantage of that under the guise of helping you. And I think about the context in which this is taking place at the turn of the century. Um, You know, poverty remains a big issue, but I think poverty was especially like a big issue in a lot of these larger cities. And so the episode is just very of its time talking about these issues and talking about how Buffy has been fighting supernatural evil. And it it does turn out that the bad guy in this particular episode is of supernatural origin. But there are plenty of people out there who are taking advantage of vulnerable and marginalized people who aren't monsters in a supernatural sense and Buffy can't fight against that yeah just like we can't fight against this very sad song that's playing over the montage and into the bronze I don't I didn't check again I I never do I never check to see who the sad sad singer is but it's bumming everybody out Xander and Willow are at the bronze and they're lying on couches and I was like since when (laughs) since when have there been couches on the the bronze is always changing up its brand identity you know (laughs) yeah and um, it's got to keep buying new furniture because it keeps getting wrecked. It keeps getting wrecked by werewolves and such. Uh, well, yeah, well, Xander's literally lying down on a couch and Willow's sitting on the other one. And Willow's wondering what she's doing right now. And Xander automatically launches into a rant about, you know, she's probably gabbing to all her friends about her passionate affair with Pedro, the Cabana boy. And clearly he's thinking about Cordelia. And then he realizes that Willow's thinking about Buffy. And I will say that I'm glad that Xander is obsessing over the right girl at this point, right? Like, I mean, we're big, first episode of season mm-hmm. three. He could have been obsessed with Buffy. Like, where's Buffy? Buffy, Buffy. But like, he's obsessed with Cordelia at the moment. And I don't, you know, obviously I don't like him being obsessed over any woman on the show. But at least his focus is on his potential girlfriend, I mean, Cordelia. Would you like an uncharitable interpretation of this? You know, I could slander Xander if you want. (laughs) Yeah, do it. (laughs) Do you think that maybe the reason why Xander is a little bit less obsessed with Buffy and a little bit more obsessed with Cordelia right now is because Buffy has lost some of her luster since she is now damaged goods? Oh, you opened the the door to that. Oh, my God. Yes. (laughs) 
Yes, I do think that because I think very little of Xander. <laughs> like I said, it's it's a quite an uncharitable reading. I'm, you know, I'm reading a lot into this. Nothing that Xander has said so far supports this interpretation. But if you're into the hardcore Xander slander like we are, it's just like, you know, Xander has been obsessed with Buffy since episode one because she is this strong, sexy hero, you know? She can bench press a vampire. And she's gone now. And before she she left, she was terribly broken. And then she had to kill her boyfriend. So I think, you know, there might be a subconscious part of Xander who looks at Buffy. And because of the way he's been taught to objectify women, he sees Buffy as damaged goods. You know, she's not the hero or not the, the strong person that he was attracted to. Whereas Cordelia still retains that attraction that he he has felt for her for a while and also maybe he's like well she's somebody i can actually like control and, and like not necessarily control but like i think he's he's waking up to the fact that cordelia his relationship with cordelia is a lot more manageable than mm. any relationship with buffy ever could have been i love it yes go off cara <laughs> i also think and this is me obviously I got ahead of myself by being like, good for him. He's obsessed with Cordelia. We forget that at the season opener of season two, he was also getting closer to Willow because Buffy wasn't there for the summer. So his brain cannot function. Like <laughs> it cannot possibly hold on to these feelings unless you're right in, in his face, right? Right in front of his eyes. I don't know. Food for thought, everybody. <laughs> so Oz is there. He brings both of them a drink. And they're talking about fixing up their vampire slaying process. There's things that need to be fixed so that they can actually slay more of the vampires. Xander sees Cordelia enter with her friends. Friends, question mark. Like, I don't know who these girls are, but Cordelia comes in with some new friends. And Xander says, bait. So he calls her bait. Okay, so this is the thing too. It's like, okay, so Xander, like on one hand, it's like, okay, one girl at the moment, which is fine, but Cordelia is so much more than her looks. Mm-hmm. And you stop thinking that the only way that she's useful is by her looks. And you're still treating her like she's a slutty prostitute when she's not with you romantically. When she's with you romantically, you treat her, I suppose, as like somebody you make out with and you kind of like. But when she's not with you romantically and things are weird, you automatically go back to like, okay, well, she's right. just the hot body that I can use for however I want. Xander sucks. Moving on. Xander sucks. He continues to suck. So let's cut to Joyce, who is at home the next day. He, there's a knock on the door and she goes hopefully over to it, but it's just Giles. It's actually really nice to see Giles and Joyce in a scene together. Mm-hmm. We, we well, never get like, this, right? So Giles and Joyce and I guess Snyder are like the only ad- adult figures on the show, right? So mm-hmm. to have two of the show's adults in a scene together like this is pretty significant. Yeah. And Giles is saying that he's back from Oakland and turns out the lead didn't pan out. And Joyce thanks him for going, but she feels like she can hardly leave the house. She says she's afraid that if she leaves... Buffy will call and will need her help. And I think that this portrayal of a worried parent is really effective Mm -hmm. and sad. And it's really compelling to watch. Mm -hmm. And it also must be weird for her to be home all the time because she's never home. So the fact that she's home all the time now, it's like she's changing up her lifestyle. 
after learning about Buffy's secret, but then on the fact that Buffy's missing. And I think she's doing everything she can to feel like she's available to her. So Giles says, Buffy is the most capable child he's ever known. And she may be confused and unhappy, but he honestly believes she's not in danger. And Joyce just says that she wishes she could talk to her. The last time they talked, they had this big fight. And Giles says, don't blame yourself for her leaving. And Joyce says she doesn't. She blames Giles. And she says that Giles has been this huge influence on Buffy, guiding her. And they had this whole relationship with her behind Joyce's back. And she feels like Giles took Buffy away from her. And I totally get where Joyce is coming from here. I don't think it's fair. I don't think it's true what she's saying about Giles. But I understand why Joyce would feel this way. She feels betrayed. I think she also is feeling guilt about not knowing for so long about Buffy's secret and knowing that Buffy had this whole other life that Joyce wasn't a part of. And here is this father figure that's had a relationship with Buffy that Joyce should have had. It's the complexity of it, right? Like, that's what I love about Mm -hmm. this show. Like, Joyce is totally in the right to be upset here. And, you know, did Giles do anything wrong? No, because like Buffy, he was just trying to protect Joyce from the truth and... I mean, we've talked a little bit about how like Giles' relationship with Buffy can be seen as inappropriate in some ways because of the age and power dynamics and stuff. But at the end of the Mm -hmm. day, like neither of them is right. Neither of them is completely wrong. It's just one of these complex situations where you have a lot of feelings and bravo for Joyce for saying these things. Because in season Mm -hmm. one, Joyce, I think, kept things bottled up a lot because she was so afraid of misstepping and, and doing something wrong and setting Buffy off. And now I think she feels a lot freer to express herself. And I hope that continues. And good for Giles as well for not taking this to heart. He just says to her, I didn't make Buffy who she is. And Joy says, who exactly is she? So like you're saying, this is a really great conversation between the two of them. I, I get where both of them are coming from. But at the end of the day, they're both just really worried about Buffy. Mm -hmm. And they're coming at it in different ways. And Joyce is projecting a bit onto Giles. And I honestly, like, who wouldn't? (laughs) Who wouldn't try to find someone else to blame? (laughs) I'm really surprised that Joyce, like, before Giles left, she should have offered him, like, dinner in a bag. Do you want to take this home (laughs) with you? Like, I just can't eat them anymore. They remind me too much of Buffy. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So we cut to the diner where Buffy's filling up sugar shakers. Um, and Lily approaches her and says that Ricky is missing. He's oh, gone. Great. Big loss. <laughs> oh no. Where's Ricky? No. And she thinks something happened to him. And Buffy is so like, just like what we just did, like big loss, right? He's <laughs> Buffy's like, well, did you call the police? Like, did you look for him? Like, I don't know. And, uh, Lily's asking Buffy for her help. And Buffy is super reluctant because that's not Buffy's job anymore. Buffy quit. Buffy had to kill her lover. She's done. She's just going to waitress for the rest of her life. And Lily says the whole moral of this episode. She says it here. She says, but that's who you are. You help people. And Buffy's really adamant that she doesn't do that stuff anymore. And Lily gets upset and just says, I don't know what to do. And it look is, is looking so helpless. And sure enough, she's right. That is who Buffy is. Buffy does help people. And looking at Lily, a.k.a. Chanterelle, looking so sad and useless and she's like okay i'm gonna help you (laughs) so we cut to the blood clinic 
where Buffy and Lily are asking if they've seen Ricky, the nurse there, um, because they go there to donate blood and make money. The clinic worker there, or the nurse, I guess, says that she'll check the sheet. This nurse also doesn't understand privacy policies. (laughs) Yeah, so... Buffy's telling Lily that this will all go faster if they split up and look for him. And Lily immediately immediately is like, can I come with you? (laughs) And Buffy's like, where did I lose you on the splitting up thing? So obviously, like, once again, building up on Lily's character, she's really needy, right? Like, she can't do anything alone. Basically, Buffy says, well, go look. Come meet up with me at my place later. And the worker says that Ricky has not been there, so they go. But then she looks suspiciously after them. So... On the streets, Buffy enters a crack den and she's looking around and I would be really scared. I really loved this for Buffy here because she's just walking around like checking all these people looking for Ricky and like obviously this is a really dangerous area of LA or wherever they are. But she turns over the one old man that she saved the night before and he's dead. He drank Drano and killed himself. But he has the tattoo of Lily with the half heart on his arm. So Buffy goes back to her apartment and Lily's waiting there for her. And Buffy just says straight up, I think he's dead. (laughs) Why are we laughing? I'm I'm laughing because it's so insensitive to just say, I I think he's dead. And Lily is really shocked uh, by that. And she says, but he takes care of me. And Buffy continues on and she says, like, the thing is, he wasn't just dead. He was old. He was about 80 years old. And she's sure it was Ricky. And it looked like something drained the life out of him. And Lily asks if it was a vampire. Buffy says, no, it might have something to do with his blood, though. When was the last time you guys gave blood together? And Lily starts to deny it again. She's like, well, maybe it's not Ricky. It's probably not Ricky. And Buffy then gets even harsher (laughs) than just dropping the I think he's dead and says, that's not the point. These things happen all the time. You can't just close your eyes and hope they're going to go away. And I was like, Buffy you're saying this to yourself, right? Like you're being so harsh with Lily here, who's like a wounded animal (laughs) and you're not showing her any sensitivity because you're actually speaking to yourself and you're being harsh to yourself, right? That you Mm -hmm. can't just close your eyes and make sure it all go away. It's still there at the end of the day. So Lily gets actually really fucked up here. And she says, is it because of you? You know about monsters and stuff and you could have brought this with you. So she starts to blame Buffy And Buffy gets angry and she says, like, I didn't bring anything with me and I didn't ask for you to come to me with your problems. I just wanted to be left alone. If you can't deal, then don't lay it off on me. So Lily leaves. And my question to you is, do monsters follow Buffy around? I think it's very possible that as soon as Buffy got called, that's when supernatural things started happening around her. Because she lived a pretty normal life Uh, before then. Maybe. I mean... Yeah, like you could see it that way. I think it's more of like a selection bias thing where Buffy keeps running into monsters because she knows that monsters are out there. Mm. Like, I I think what we've learned is, especially in Sunnydale and apparently now also Green Gables, (laughs) monsters are just everywhere. They're, They're hiding in plain sight, right? They can pass as humans sometimes. And the majority of people go throughout their lives ignorant of this or they become victims. Hello, metaphor. Um, and <laughs> people who are aware of the supernatural, like Buffy and, and Willow and Xander and now, you know, Lily, 
their encounters with monsters seem to be more frequent. I mean, obviously, yes, like when you seek them out, yes. But like, even when you're not seeking it out, they seem to be more frequent because you know about them. So of course, you're going to pick up on that faster and more easily. Uh, certainly in Sunnydale, yes, like we know it's a monster capital because they're attracted to the Hellmouth. Maybe the same is true for LA, right? Like maybe like it, not that it has a Hellmouth, but maybe it's just like it's a big city. Statistically speaking, you'd expect there to be lots of monsters there. Okay, yeah, I like that. That's when we cut to the street where Lily is wandering helplessly. And of course, she's approached by Ken, the cult leader, asking her if she needs help. And he says, you know, culty stuff like hope is a real thing, like despair. Hope can fill up a part of you that's missing. And Lily mentions Ricky and he says, oh, are you Lily? Ricky was talking about you. I know Ricky. Rick, Ricky's with us now. Like the whole thing. And he's he's like, Ricky's no more dead than I am. Come to family home. We'll get you taken care of. So Lily obviously goes with him. So cut to the blood clinic. And I love this scene because Buffy just like is breaking the fucking. <laughs> She's just like going through the files and she finds Ricky's name and it says candidate next to it. And that's when the worker, the nurse from before comes up behind her because she was just hanging out, you know, there after hours. And she's like, what are you doing? And Buffy's just straight up. And she says, I'm breaking into your office and going through your private files. <laughs> oh, okay then. Oh, okay. Don't, don't mind me. And <laughs> she asks, Ricky is a candidate for what? And the nurse obviously says, I'm going to call the police. And Buffy just rips the phone off the wall. And then Buffy says, I don't want any trouble. I just want to be left alone in a quiet room with a chair and a fireplace and a tea cozy. But instead, I keep getting trouble, which I am more than willing to share. So what are you doing with these kids? And the woman just gives it. She's just like, I only give them the names of the healthy ones. And Buffy's like, who? Is that better? Yeah, is that like it makes any difference? <laughs> I just, I, I love this scene because this is my favorite, yeah. right? It's like Buffy is being pushed too far and she's like, I have, I'm fed up with this shit. You know, she, she doesn't try to make nice and she's just like, no, like I am the slayer. I have super strength. I'm going to pull your phone out of the wall and I'm, I'm just, I'm not pretending anymore. And I love it. This is my Buffy at my favorite. Yeah. I love it too. She's such a boss. And she's starting to get a little bit of that fire, right? Like this is, we're halfway through the episode and the first half, she was just really sad and isolated and morose. But here we have some sort of supernatural mystery happening and she can't help herself, but jump right in and find the reason or find out what happened to Ricky. So cut to Ken, who has Lily in a cult outfit. <laughs> it's a robe. It's always a robe. It's always a robe. And she's just like, why do I have to change? And he's like, it's for the cleansing. Like, what? <laughs> Lily, run. This is so bad on so many levels. I know, uh. I know. And so she's like, can I see Ricky after? And he's like, of course. And um, they, he leads her out. And we cut to Sunnydale Cemetery where, indeed, they are using Cordelia as bait. And she is complaining about it. And they all, all the Scoobies all check that they have weapons and then they break up to go to their various hiding spots to wait for the vampire to show up. But Cordelia follows Xander to his hiding spot. And she's like, I'm just doing this for Buffy's sake. Nothing to do with Xander. <laughs> like nothing to do with you. And he tells her she's bait. So go act baity. And then she asks like, what's supposed to happen? And he says, the vampire attacks you, kills you. We watch, we rejoice. 
I do think they're both being obviously immature and unreasonable in this situation, in this scene. Mm-hmm. But Xander is way worse because Cordelia, she so sure, she can't admit that she has feelings for him, that she missed him. So she's just saying that she's not here for him. Like, I'm, I don't do any of this for you. You don't matter to me. So she's saying that kind of stuff to him because she can't admit her feelings. But Xander, who also can't admit his feelings, is saying that he'd be happy if she died. <laughs> he'd be happy if he could watch her get murdered, which is a very real possibility in Sunnydale. So it's just like way worse, uh, you know? Yeah, he I takes mean, it to this weird level. <laughs> maybe maybe we're just not getting the whole love-hate thing that's going on, but yeah, I'm with you. I just think like when it's over and over and over again that Cordelia is verbally abused on the show, it's obviously continuing. So Cordelia and him continue to bicker, and as they fight, we see Willow, who can hear the whole thing, and she's like rolling her eyes because she's like, oh my god. And then a vampire approaches Willow from behind. So we cut to Ken, who is getting Lily to kneel in front of this very culty, shriny pool thing of black water. And he's like, this will wash away the past. The water runs over the sin and the pain and the uncertainty. (laughs) And Lily is just like, it looks dirty. (laughs) So Buffy is at the door of the cult of the family home. And she's trying to convince these cult people to let her in. And she's trying to lie. And Buffy sucks at lying. So she's just like, I woke up and I looked in the mirror and I thought, what's all with all the sin? You know, I need to change. I'm bad with all the sex and all the, all the loud music that I listen to (laughs) and like all this stuff. And then Buffy says something that's so cool. And she says, God, I just suck at undercover. (laughs) Yes, girl. And you and I have been saying this for so long. And I love how aware Buffy is of of herself right here. She admits it. She's like, yeah, I just suck at this. So she kicks the door open instead and then goes in um, to find Ken. And just as Lily is reaching her hand into this pool of black goo, uh, Buffy storms in and (laughs) she's like, okay, Ken, what makes the mold? And Ken is like, do you really want to know? And that's when Lily is pulled in through the goop completely and is gone. And Buffy and Ken struggle for a bit and they both fall in. And where they fall into is this like concrete floor hallway and you look up and the black goo is on is on the roof the so they've like above them. fallen basically into like a, a different dimension mm-hmm. and it's like it's yeah. a weird port the, the goo turned out to be a portal who knew who knew <laughs> um and and so now we've got so lily's there and just kind of like in shock buffy gets up and she goes to check on lily right because she's like are you okay and then ken gets up and he he is quite upset because apparently Buffy ruined his face. Um, so he pulls his face, his human face away to reveal, honestly, this is my the grossest thing about this episode for me. His demon face is mm-hmm. gross. Like it just, it's yeah. unsettling to me. Uh, and I don't like looking at it, but um, it, it's just like sticky and icky and, and ick. And I'm just, I'm sorry, but that's not for me. And he's he's complaining about, like, how much time it takes him to glue on his human face. And, and this is the thing about Ken, and we can get back to this uh, later in the episode. But, you know, he's given me really, like, managerial vibes like we got from the master where it's like, yeah. he, he's a demon, but he's also running a business. He's got employees. <laughs> he's got overhead. You know, yeah. he can only afford so many human masks a month. Like, <laughs> Buffy's cutting into his profit margin here. So... Yeah. 
Um, so basically, he while he's complaining, he is distracted, and that gives uh, Lily and Buffy enough time to run. So Ken like sighs, and he's like, "Guards!" So we know that there's guards here. You know, he's in charge in this weird dimension. So Buffy and Lily run down the corridor. They're running away from Ken. But what are they running towards? And it's this huge, like, open, like, pit, like, several levels. And you see a bunch of prisoners, cult members. They're all wearing robes. And yeah. they're they're doing hard labor. There's, like, these open, like, pits of, like, lava. And, like, I don't even know what they're doing. But it looks bad. There's no safety procedures going on in this work area. Oh, hell no. This, this uh, factory, you might say. I want to say that they're slaves. I mean, I think they're slaves. I think yeah, they're, they're going to be worked until until death, right? Because we see there's a bunch of other demons that are, like, you know, whipping them and overseeing them. Uh, and Ken shows up. Dastardly Ken. Uh, and he's <laughs> like, welcome to my world. Hope you like it. And then uh, he knocks Buffy out with some kind of, I don't know, like a cudgel or something. And he says, you're never leaving. Oof. Yeah, like that. That's quite a threat. So yeah. we'll have to see if he can make good on that. Spoiler, <laughs> he doesn't. Um, <laughs> moving on. Uh, in the cemetery, Xander and Cordelia are still bickering as Willow gets attacked. I do want to say right before they get attacked, Cordelia accuses Xander of being unfaithful to her and meeting up with a hot little Inca mummy girl over the summer. She's like, yeah, I heard about that. I just think that's like such an interesting callback, right? Because I don't think in the movie, they, in the show, they ever called Empata an actual like Inca mummy girl. Right. So that's when Willow screams and they go running. Oz like books it across the cemetery and tries to pull the vampire off of her, but he gets thrown aside and it ends up being Xander who is tussling with the vampire face to face. And he has a stake raised, but he's being overpowered and Cordelia screams Xander and goes up behind and pushes the vampire and they, they fall on top of Xander and she falls on top of Xander and the vampire like a sandwich almost and as they fall the stake the wooden stake goes to the vampire's heart so he dusts and Cordelia ends up on top of Xander and cue the cheesy romantic music and then they start to make out so... Cordelia would definitely enjoy being on top <laughs> does this not remind you of another scene from the harvest way back in season one it does Yes. When Xander accidentally stakes somebody, <laughs> stakes yeah. a vampire by getting run into. Uh, but yeah, I think it's just very interesting to me that Cordelia clearly was the reason they staked this vampire. And the reason they sucked at it all summer was because she wasn't there. <laughs> so cut to Buffy, who's waking up in the cage. And Lily is sitting there despairing. And... Cara, you know when you have that one coworker in the morning who talks way too much first thing, <laughs> as soon as you get to work, they're just chatter, 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 and you haven't had your coffee yet, you haven't settled <laughs> down into your day yet, and mm. they just talk and talk, and that's Lily, because Buffy's waking up for her concussion, and she's like, oh my god, I'm groggy, where the fuck am I, what's going on? And Lily is like, I always knew I would come here sooner or later, I knew I belonged here. <laughs> and Buffy's like, where are we? And she says hell and buffy says this isn't hell can't be hell because angel's not there oh well she didn't look <laughs> for him yet he could be there <laughs> so um ken's been eavesdropping around the corner just like waiting for buffy to wake up he, he's really invested in the whole evil village stick like i gotta hand it to ken like 
you know, this guy is serving it up. I mean, if you're saying that Ken is the manager of this place, then obviously there's an onboarding process. So he had to wait for Buffy to wake up. Oh, yeah, that's a good point. There's probably like training videos like, welcome to your new life as a slave. (laughs) It's basically what he does right now, right? He's just, so as soon as Buffy says like, this isn't hell, he just comes around and he's like, what is hell if not the total absence of hope? (laughs) The substance, the tactile proof of despair. So he says, Lily, you're right. This is where you've been heading your whole life. Just like Ricky, he did forget you. It took him a really long time, but he remembered your name years after he forgot his own. Well, of course, he had a tattoo of her name on his arm. He probably was looking <laughs> at it. was like, who's Lily? Carl, why'd you have to ruin that? I was just about to say that that's so romantic. <laughs> I'm sorry. Romance is dead. Angel's gone. Angel's gone, and I'm never going to know romance ever again. So basically, in this portal, time moves very quickly. Down here, 100 years could pass, but on Earth, it's just one day. So that's how Ricky got spit out and was super old. So it's it's like any job. Like any job, exactly. You're here for 100 years, you get out, <laughs> and then you die, and that's how it goes. So Buffy says, so you work us until we're too old, then you spit us back out. So Ken says, you'll die of old age before anyone wonders where you went. Not that anyone will. That's why we chose you. And Buffy says, you didn't choose me. And Ken says, I know you, Anne. (laughs) So afraid, so pathetically determined to run away from whatever you used to be. Congratulations, you got your wish. So, I mean, that's the whole point. Like like this episode, obviously all about the loss of hope and despair. That's exactly what Buffy went through last season at the end and why she came to LA, right? She was despairing. She was sad. She had no hope. She's like, I have nothing. So this is this is what it led her to, right? This like hole, this this hell dimension, basically. And I have to ask another question: What do we think they're making at this demon factory? It is so unclear. Bitcoin. Bitcoin. <laughs> That's actually how your bitcoins mined. It's not a mathematical problem that your computer's solving. It's demons making humans mine it from another dimension. Yeah, it's either Bitcoin or like the new iPhone 13. <laughs> Whatever oh. they're making. <laughs> I want it so bad. So, <laughs> so, so Buffy and the other slaves are being told they work and that's their life. They do not complain, laugh, or do anything besides work. Whatever you thought, whatever you were does not matter. You are no one now. You mean nothing. And this, this guy with his like weapon is going person to person and asking, who are you? And the first guy's like, Aaron. Oh, Aaron. <laughs> oh, silly Aaron. Oh, and Aaron gets beat up. I have a feeling that this is not the first time this has happened to Aaron. This is so classic Aaron who ended up here by doing exactly that, but on earth. <laughs> <laughs> who robbed the store? Aaron did. Ha, 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 so so then he goes to lily who learned quicker than aaron and he's like who are you and lily's like i'm no one (laughs) so he passes her and then he does it one more time and then he gets to buffy and he says who are you and buffy looks up at him and he says i'm buffy the vampire slayer and you are Ooh. so buffy is reclaiming her identity right now Right? Like this whole time, I'm Anne. I'm Anne with an E. I'm from Green Gables. But now she's like, I'm Buffy, the vampire slayer, and I'm not fucking wasting any more time in this 
iPhone factory. Like, I'm out of here, right? So he goes to beat her up. And of course, Buffy kicks his ass and another guard. And then she says to the other people there, anyone who's not having fun here, follow me. So they are hiding under these <laughs> stairs that are like the kind of stairs that you can see through. <laughs> like <laughs> It's not really hiding. They're like out in the open, but that's okay. And she's telling them to wait there until the guards leave because they will, because she'll distract them and then go up the stairs fast and quiet. And she leaves Lily in charge. And Lily starts saying like, you're leaving me. And she doesn't want to do it because Lily doesn't take leadership in any way, shape or form. And Buffy says, you can do this because I say so. So, before they run away, Lily says, I'm sorry. And I, I, I said that this was all your fault before. And in case we die, I wanted to say I'm sorry. And Buffy's like, we don't have time for this. And shoes her away. Huh. So I really love this scene. This is actually one of the reasons why I enjoyed this episode so much is because this fight yes. scene is really epic. Well, but even before that, right? Buffy being, you know, saying like, I'm Buffy, the vampire slayer. And you are. It is such an iconic moment, right? The way she looks up. Because for a moment, you think she might have been beaten, right? Like, that's what this whole episode has been leading us towards, is the question, is Buffy broken? Mm -hmm. And in this moment, with all hope lost, Buffy could say, I'm no one. She mm -hmm. chooses to reassert her identity. And it's not, I'm Buffy Summers, daughter of Joyce. It's not, I'm Buffy Summers, high school student, right? It's, I'm the vampire slayer. And so this is the culmination of two entire seasons of Buffy finally coming to terms with being the Slayer. Whether she likes it or not, this is who she is. And it's such a powerful moment. And then, yes, as you said, the fight scene is great. There's another iconic shot that we see at the end of the opening credits for the whole season. But to me, the power is in those words. Has she said that before? Has she said, I'm Buffy the Vampire Slayer? I don't know if she's ever introduced herself. I, like I, do, I don't know off the top of my head. I'm sure one of our yeah. listeners knows, but it, it it's significant in this moment. It is. Yeah. Like, like reclaiming that identity after being lost and pretending to be something else this whole time. So where I knew this was going to be an amazing fight was when Buffy's being chased by all these guards. She's like dodging all these people and running through the factory. And she like jumps on a pole, swings around and takes one out with her legs. And I'm like, Oh fuck. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The choreography is definitely improved. It's so good. So Buffy ends up on this platform and it's conveniently raised up so we can all get a good look at her. But the, the angles are from all over, right? Like up, down the side, like right in front of her. Like there it's a really good, well shot fight scene so mm -hmm. as she's kicking the asses of all these guards one by one i think she fights like 10 of them at, like they're coming one by one at her she acquires two weapons while she's doing this and at the same time lily is getting the people up the stairs like she told like she was told to and out down the hallway and ken comes out <laughs> and says humans don't fight back that's not how this works and then he's like, more men, get down there and get your asses yeah, kicked so, too. So, you know? Again, this is where I'm getting like the big managerial vibes from Ken, where it's like, he's the type of person who, if everything's going his way, great. He's a nice guy. He's chill. But the moment something doesn't go to plan, he falls apart because yes. he's not, he's a middle manager at best, right? He's not a big <laughs> ideas guy. He doesn't understand how to deal with this kind of chaos. Yeah, and it, it's as he sends these more men toward Buffy that we get that hero shot that you mentioned of Buffy scanning her perimeter with her weapon. And it's like so badass. 
she keeps fighting them to the point where she's held down by three. And that's when Ken had gone into the hallway and grabbed Lily and he puts a knife to her neck. And as Buffy's being held down, Ken says, if one of you fights, you all die. And he throws Lily to the side and he's standing on the edge of this platform and he's saying, it was not permitted what she did. And Buffy's like, yeah, but it was fun. And he says, you've got guts. I think I'd like to slit you open and play with them. Let everyone know that this is the price of rebellion. And that's when Lily gets some gumption and shoves him off the ledge, which is a huge step for her. It is. Well, and that's what the episode is trying to show us, right? Is Mm -hmm. Buffy's not just a hero because she can beat up the bad guys. Like, that's awesome. Buffy is a hero because she makes other people want to be heroic. Lily would never have done that if Buffy hadn't rebelled first. But the fact that Lily did that, she saw Buffy, she was inspired, she's changing. And maybe that change is going to last. Maybe it won't. But, you know, that's significant. It's not Buffy who kills Ken. It's Lily. And that matters. And again, poor overconfident manager Ken thinking I've, you know, I've cowed this one for sure. That's your downfall, buddy. You never turn your back on somebody like that in front of an open lava pit. Like, what's wrong with you? Where's your health and safety guy? Seriously. And he completely underestimated how aspirational Buffy is. Like you're like you're saying, like, that's what I, this is my favorite part of the episode is when Lily shoves him off the, off mm-hmm. the edge. Because even you can see it in Lily's face, she, her eyes open really <laughs> wide. She's like, I can't believe I just did that. And Buffy takes that opportunity to beat up the guys that are holding her. And then she crawls up the side of the platform of the of the wall, grabs Lily, and they run. And as they run, the rest of the people are at this really heavy metal gate. And Buffy literally, like, grabs the gate from the bottom and starts using her stri- her slayer strength to lift it up. And it's so funny what she's saying while she's lifting it up. She's like, oh, this works the abs. And the glutes, and I'm going to feel this in a, for a week and treating it like it's a workout. And she lifts it high enough for people to get under and Buffy slides under as well. And just as it's falling, Ken, who didn't die by that fall, has tried to chase after them and go under the gate. And the gate actually drops down on his legs right through the bone. It's actually really brutal. And it's even more brutal what Buffy, what Buffy does now where... Ken is shouting at her, you ruined everything. Like, you you ruined it. And she says, hey, Ken, want to see my impression of Gandhi? <laughs> and then she takes her axe or whatever she's holding, and she bashes his head in. And it's, like, awesome and Classic brutal. Gandhi. Yeah. <laughs> and Lily's like, Gandhi? And Buffy says, well, you know, if he was really pissed off. So just as Buffy, Lily, and all the other people scramble out of the portal uh, ceiling back into Earth time, they turn around and the portal closes. So lucky them that they got out just in time. We cut to Buffy's apartment, which she is leaving to Lily. She's telling Lily that rent is paid up for three weeks and she got her her old job at the diner. So clearly Buffy's going to be heading out. And Buffy says she's going to call in and check on her. And Lily admits that she's not great at taking care of herself. You know, no shit. And Buffy says it gets easier It takes practice. And Lily looks at the uniform that Buffy left behind and the name Anne is there. And Lily says, can I be Anne? And Buffy smiles. And I think it's really sweet that Lily, not only has she taken charge more of her destiny 
by listening to Buffy and helping her rebel, Buffy has provided Lily with a new life that mm-hmm. hopefully Lily's going to be able to uphold. Yeah. And the fact that she, Lily's saying, I want to be Anne, a.k.a. I want to be you, I believe that she's going to do it, that she's going to try her best to keep her shit together and keep this job and keep this apartment. And yeah. Buffy really set her up for a nice little life there in Green Gables. So <laughs> until, you know, the next cult comes around and <laughs> she goes and joins it. So I also want to say that if Lily really wanted a new cult to join, we know of a really good one where the leader, all he wants is your love and he lives in a computer. <laughs> so she should reach out to us. Praise Mark. So this is the end. And actually, you know what? I forgot to tell you this, but I teared up. I got I got weepy at this scene. I thought it was really well done. Big softy. I am a I'm just like a little soft little dinner bag of dough <laughs> inside. And uh because we cut to the to the summer's house and Joyce is loading the dishwasher or something and she hears a knock at the door and she walks toward it but then she stops for a moment and gets like this look on her face which I feel like is like she's like this could be it. This is Buffy. I feel her. Like I whatever. I have intuition. So she opens the door slowly and sure enough, Buffy's on the other side and they stare at each other and then they embrace. And that's when I cried. I was like, that's actually a really great ending to this yeah, episode. It is because there's no conversation. You know, they don't get into the weeds. They're just like, Buffy's back. And we all figure out what that means next week. Ooh. So who's your hero? Oh, this is a tough one. This is an interesting episode. I, I don't really like season openers of Buffy. You know, because she's always despondent in them. She's always like off her groove and has to find her groove again. We saw that in When She Was Bad. We see that in this one. Uh, It's going to keep happening. So I always remember this episode as being worse than it actually is. It's actually a decent episode, decently paced. There's not a ton of action, but what action is there is very good. But as far as heroics go, I mean, like, Willow and Xander and, and Cordelia and Giles, like, they're just kind of there. And, and they do important stuff. Don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to downplay their scenes. But there's no plot to that part of the episode because the whole mm-hmm. episode is about Buffy as a character. Mm-hmm. So I, I, for me, the only hero is Buffy, not just for the heroics that she pulls, but because this is the show reminding us that this is about Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Yeah, I agree with you. I also picked Buffy. At first, I was going to pick Joyce and Giles in terms mm-hmm. of like, I thought it was really heroic, right. their portrayal of worried parents when your kid is missing. So I think that mm-hmm. they both, the fact that Giles was out all summer looking for her, the fact that Joyce was doing the opposite and staying home all summer waiting for her. I just think that was a really brilliant portrayal of that particular situation. Mm. Uh, But ultimately, I agree with you too. Buffy re-embraced her identity and it came back stronger than ever after however long she needed to get lost. She's found herself again and she came home. And I think that's really, really powerful. And there's just, there's such great dialogue in this episode and most of it is from Buffy or with Buffy. Mm -hmm. (sighs) Ah, so there it is. So um, we do have a hot stake for our season three opener. And this one is from Casey. Hi, Casey. Hi, Casey. So she says, are you too familiar with the Bechdel test? 
We are. <laughs> oh, yeah. But for those who aren't, uh, it asks whether a work features at least two women who talk to each other about something other than a man. Two named women. Two named women, yes. Yeah. And I bring this up because a lot of the time, not always, but when it's just Willow and Buffy on screen, they're talking about boys. I know Willow is Buffy's only gal pal since Cordelia is a gal pal in progress. <laughs> I love that. And uh, we need those teenage girl exchanges, but it's just something I thought of when watching these early episodes. I'm curious to see how the dialogue matures as these young women do. So this is interesting to me that you bring up the Bechdel test. I, I would say that as a series, Buffy passes the Bechdel test, which means that this is a really good example of how the Bechdel test is not a great test for if something is feminist, right? And it was never meant to be that way uh, when Alison Bechdel originated it in her comic strip. She was trying to make a point, uh, which I, yeah. and I think Casey understands that, right? It's, it's the Bechdel test is there to get us thinking about how women are used as characters in media, especially media created by men. It's a good starting point. Yeah, that's an excellent point, Casey. Like, it is interesting that we see Willow and Buffy usually talking about boys i think it's excusable to an extent in that yes they are teenage girls and like you said gal pals um but when even though sometimes they're not and therefore the show technically passes the bechdel test as you and i have discussed seth there are many ways in which the show is problematic from a feminist lens so that's why if somebody holds up the bechdel test at you and is like well you know this movie or this tv show or this book passes the bechdel test so you know, get off, you know, stop, stop <laughs> calling it problematic. No, like the Bechdel test is the bare minimum yeah. um, and vice versa. Like there are also media properties that don't pass the Bechdel test, but can still be quite feminist depending on, mm. you know, what's actually going on in the story and with the characters. So yeah. uh, thank you for bringing that up because I think it's a great discussion for us to have, you know, and, and it's something that we can look at because as you pointed out, Steph, Interesting stuff is going to happen with Cordelia this season. Um, and curious to see what happens with the show's portrayal of her. Uh, and we've got another prominent female character showing up soon. And that's all I'm going to say about that. But we got more coming. <laughs> yeah, more to come. So obviously a lot more of these women-driven conversations that you and I can pick apart. But um, it's good to be reminded of starting points like the Bechdel test as we analyze them. So thanks, Casey. And again, everybody, whole new season. We are here for your hot stakes. Send them on in. DM us, email us, message us, comment. We love them. Thanks, everybody, for joining us on our season three premiere. And thank you, Stephanie, for coming along with me on this journey. Season three. <laughs> Praise Moloch. Okay, bye, everyone. <laughs> thanks for listening to Prophecy Girls. If you want and can afford to donate, head over to buymeacoffee.com slash prophecygirls for one-time and monthly options. We appreciate all of your support, even if it's just spreading the word about us or enjoying our show week by week. We also invite you to join in the discussion by messaging us on our social media channels. Follow us at Prophecy Girls Podcast on TikTok, Instagram, and Facebook, and prophecy underscore girls on Twitter. You can also reach out to our email at prophecygirlspodcast at gmail.com or visit our website, prophecygirls.ca. See you next week. Bye.